Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> okay, well, live from New York, it is Tuesday night and I am actually in New York. And Sam actually did not want to see me this time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, she was actually so freaking weird. I was like, oh, my God, who am I doing this podcast with? You're like, can we just keep it remote, please? No, I just, ladies, gents, and everyone else just have a crazy work week, and I just can't make shit work, unfortunately. But big news is we're seeing each other later this spring. So like if you see some wild ass TikToks and some like absolutely crazy photo shoots, I mean. It's about time. 
Like, the fact we didn't, you know, have a camera crew just following us around last time I was here, it was just really a real disappointment, you know? We didn't give the people what they wanted. We so. fucked up. Yeah. But I am in New York, and... I had to bring a much smaller microphone because last time I came here, I had to bring two massive suitcases with these massive microphones that I have that I usually record with. So I bought this little one from Amazon. So if I sound different, that's why the other sound comment that we need to push out there is that this audio quality with our amazing guest actually is not top tier. So we apologize for that. But it's a very important topic about a very important organization called Amplify Action and their founder. So definitely listen through, bear with us with the audio. But again, super important topic that we wanted to cover this week. Top tier quality content. That's the point. That's the takeaway. So Please keep listening. We're super, super excited for this episode with Brandon Upson, who is the founder and executive director of Amplify Action that cultivates the civic and political engagement of Black men by registering voters, adequately, yes, adequately engaging the electorate to increase civic participation, training community members to amplify their voices, and to hold elected officials accountable. And, oh wait, just this part too to advocate for expanded access to the ballot. So Brandon, who is our guest, is also the National Organizing Director for Tom Steyer 2020 and the Regional Director for Need to Impeach. So this is just me trying to get in on the Tom Steyer, I don't, cult is the wrong word, click, like the cool kids table. Like, I just want to sit there. Like, come on, let me in. No, you're in. I told I told you, you're in. You are an honorary alum with us, but... No, it's quite the family. Like, I'm very proud to be a part of it. And, yeah, Brandon was, I think he was, like, technically my boss's boss, but just, like, the nicest guy and super amazing guy who does amazing work. So we're excited to have him on the show and highlight everything that he does and these very important topics of voter suppression, especially in the South, where we see it just very alarmingly. (laughs) So without further ado, here's Brandon. So first of all, someone came up to me. I was having dinner in Columbia, South Carolina, and they were like, hey, back that ass up. I will never, (laughs) ever forget. And for anyone listening, we will be sure to post a video on our social media of Tom Steyer back in that ass up. (laughs) Forever iconic moment. I was happy, happy to represent him because of that alone. You know, that happened not even 10 minutes after I left the arena. Like, I left the arena to go back to the office to take care of some stuff. And then my phone starts blowing. It was absolutely bananas. But, you know, Tom Steyer, so first of all, I tell folks, Tom's not the first billionaire I've ever worked for. He's number four. Like, I had a strong run leading up to Tom Steyer of working with very wealthy people who had, like, pet projects, but uh, a good friend of mine, uh, mentor, Abe Jenkins, who was that guy working with OFA, who gave my very first paid job, called me and said, you know, one of his mentors out of Philly named James Lusser was running Tom Steyer's Phil program for Need to Impeach. And she needed someone who knew the South really well and could organize. So he recommended me. 
And at the time, I was running three constitutional amendment uh, campaigns across North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Got an interview. I do everything Abe tells me to do. And immediately, I just love Jane and like her passion and her personality. And she told me about Tom, and I remember seeing his commercials. And, you know, she offered me the job before we got off the phone. And it was like the literally the best move I've ever made politically was working with Jane and Tom. Because, uh, and let's be honest, uh, I was running campaigns. By this time, I had cleared 30 campaigns. And now I'm around 40-ish. Everything from school board now up to presidential candidates. And I remember like literally willing to go on the corner to make money so we can have printing material for <laughs> like broke, broke campaigns. And knowing that I had an amazing candidate, I had an amazing staff, but we didn't have the resources to do the things to get that person across the finish line. And then working with Tom from Me to Impeach to TomStyer.com to NextGen, then to his presidential campaign, I got a chance to know him for who he was. And when you talk about a down-to-earth, genuine human being, he is just, he makes you love him because you don't expect for him to be like such a human being. Like he could, he could literally buy an island and go live there and not worry about any of this. But he is committed himself and everything he has to leaving an amazing mark on on this planet. But but yeah, working with Tom was just absolutely surreal and amazing, and have still have a friendship with him. I was his national organizing director in charge of making sure we had the organization to reach every voter possible, and you know that came with its own challenges. You know, with an organization as big as we grew, as fast as we were growing, in a market where there were half a dozen people who had been campaigning for a year or more before he got on the ground, for us to have been able to make it to South Carolina and do as well as we did in South Carolina, it says a lot. And what I look back on is the thousand plus people from that campaign that I now know they can call on or can call on me and it has really created a, we call it the Steyer standard and family around the country. And I'm, I'm still grateful for it. It was awesome. Okay. Well, I'm officially jealous of like this campaign situation. Like, can I, like, can we go back in time and I'm just going to like pop on the campaign, be a part of it. It's fine. You're definitely an honorary alum too, Sam. I think you're a part of it. Yeah, I mean, this alumni crew is like more close-knit, I feel like, than my, you know, college soccer team. So, love to see it. You guys just like dream team, but we will go along to another dream team, which is Amplify Action, which you founded. So, of course, we want to like get the scoop, get the background, give us like your elevator speech on what it is, what you guys do, and everything like that. Yeah, so Amplify Action, we, we founded Amplify Action June last year. It's a nonprofit, so 501c3. We're nonpartisan organization that's seeking to build political power in minority and marginalized communities across the South through the civic education and civic mobilization of Black men. Between June of 2020 and December of 2020, we registered 40,000 Black men 
And by the runoff elections of January, we mobilized 450,000 black voters across the South. You know, we did it on the shoestream budget. I didn't want to like, I, I didn't want to go to Tom and ask for money like so many people do. Uh, I wanted to really like have a team, trust my team, allow us to flex our muscles that we created uh, or built over this last decade. So we've really been able to do something special in a very short amount of time. I remember being on so many campaigns where I didn't have the autonomy to make the choices that I knew were right, or I had to go through levels and levels of bureaucracy and red tape to get anything done. And I saw over and over again that even with great campaigns with well-intentioned leadership, the marginalized and African-American communities were like second thought, like, oh crap, we didn't do enough to engage black people in this area. Let's figure out how we can raise money and do it real quick. Or, you know, who are those people in those neighborhoods that we can get to mobilize those folks? And it, it'll literally be weeks before election day. And one of the things I, I did on the Tom Sauer campaign, I tried to continue to push this narrative forward that we can't leave out marginalized communities, black and brown communities, you know, migrant communities. We had to talk to them early, invest in, in their businesses, invest in their mediums of communication, and do that in historic um, levels. And that really created a, a foundation for us to be able to do so much with Amplify Action in such a small amount of time with like pennies, glue stick, and lint. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think, too, this could be a whole larger topic, but the red tape within campaigns, like, can we have you back on to talk about that as well? Because I think that process is not having been on a campaign. I don't know as much about it. And I'm so curious now that you bring this up. But in terms of, of course, the shoestring budget, we've got glue sticks, we've got all the like fun tools. What are the actual tools and sort of actions that you guys use to get these insane amounts of people registered to vote? Yeah, so we had to be extra creative. Like, I wanted to launch Amplify Action in April of 2020, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic and, like, the, the lockdowns, we, we, I wasn't even sure if we were going to launch, quite honestly, because I had this whole idea of how we were going to engage these communities. I had about 400 volunteers lined up to canvas in, in communities across North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama. And then, you know, this pandemic, and we're like, oh, we cannot do anything in person. <laughs> like, that is a level of liability and irresponsibility that I am not willing to step into. So we have to figure it out. Some of the tools that we use, one of the very first things we thought of, and it was just a brainstorming session, it's like, how can we so if we have on the face masks, which they say will help us, if we stay socially distanced, how can we do contactless voter registration? It's like, well, what if they, if we had a QR code that was big enough for people to scan and it puts the voter registration tool right on their phone and they register and we move on to the next one. And we use the heck out of this QR code. We created our QR code. We put it on the back of every piece of merch that we bought. You know, with that that good old like final paycheck from Tom Steyer, <laughs> I bought a ton of merch. So like T-shirts galore, uh, 
like little tote bag, face mask, everything that I could get the printer to put the QR code we did. And the very first event we did, we registered 300 people. The next event we did using that, we registered a thousand people. And then after that, other organizations started asking us about our QR code and we would share our QR code with other organizations. And then we started getting like two, five, six, 1200 voter registrations without us even knowing that other organizations were using it. And we were just focused on the South. So we only counted in our 40,000, the ones that came from the South. But that was a big piece of it. That's amazing. It's so interesting too. I kind of got my first real taste of organizing like with Tom and then COVID hit right after. And I was like, how in the world are people going to like organize for this, for this election? And I feel like it really revolutionized the way we organize and the way we get people out to vote in such a positive way that people had to think so creatively. Like we had Christian that worked with NextGen this election and they were like on dating apps getting young people registered to vote. Like it's just incredible. Quick commercial break. <sighs> are your headphones uncomfortable, dull sounding, and die quickly? Because you need to check out Soul. Their headphones and earphones are built with the latest technology for power, clarity, and comfort. Soul provides a soundtrack to your life to help you keep going. From commuting to hitting the gym, Soul vibes with your daily grind by ensuring you get the highest quality with the best value. With Soul headphones like the S-Fit, the set of the secure and comfortable wing-shaped locks ensure to stay in your ears and you can get 33 hours, yes, 33 hours of charge. So ditch your current headphones and switch to Soul's colorful, they even have pink, and comfortable headphones. Use discount girl and the gov to get 10% off your purchase at soulnation.com. That code again is girl and the gov in all caps. Happy shopping. We want to like kind of dig deeper, I guess, on, you know, why you started Amplify Action. And a lot of that is that voter suppression that you mentioned. And so we want to transition into our I have a stupid question segment for all our listeners who aren't very versed on really what voter suppression is and how it manifests. So can we first just start with like plain question of what is voter suppression? Yeah. So voter suppression is any direct or indirect act that makes it harder or just completely prevents someone from being able to vote or even wanting to vote. And we saw a lot of this in this 2020 election, right? Like people were creating new ways to suppress the vote. And so so we can put it on the record, there's been voter suppression since America decided to be a democracy, right? It excluded por- large portions of our country from the very beginning. And there's still still a fight today to make sure that more folks have access to the franchise. So we've seen scare tactics and direct threats, you know, levy to scare people out of not registering or not participating. We've seen systematic efforts like the Jim Crow era tactics, like a poll tax or a literacy test, or, you know, guessing the numbers of bubbles in a bar of soap as a way to stop folks from being able to vote. I've personally seen things in the South when I've run uh, countywide campaigns where the sheriff didn't like my candidate. So they decided to do traffic stops and checkpoint near black and brown communities on election day. <laughs> you know, all of those things are examples of voter suppression and even, you know, putting polls, shutting down polls in communities and putting 
the poll locations way out away from where they normally are or changing them the day of the election and doing a sucky job at telling people where the new poll locations are are all examples of voter suppression. Okay, makes sense. Unfortunate, dislike. We'll get into that even further, of course. But for our next stupid question, what is a voter purge? Yeah, voter purge. So Georgia is a great example. When Governor Stacey Abrams, did I still claim her as governor? Honestly, I feel like she deserves an even higher title than that at this point. President of the world, right? <laughs> but but she literally was a victim of both voter suppression and voter purging, where you know either the county election commission or the state can remove voters from the voter rolls. Now, what does that mean? That means that I was once registered to vote and eligible to vote in a current election, but the county uh, government or the state decided to revoke my voter registration, and now I have to re-register in order to be able to vote. They make up a lot of different reasons. So it could be you missed one to two elections, and that could be any election. And, you know, in most, most places, there are elections every single year. So you missed two, so that showed that you were no longer interested in voting. So they removed it, right? And it's legal. So if they deem, if they deem that you are, are not an active voter, whatever that definition is for them, they can remove you. If you are li- physically living in one place and the voter registration is another place, and they send a note or letter, your your place of record and you don't return it in time they can purge you so think about college students or mobile you know young business professionals who are on the go you leave home for work or for school and the letter comes and your parents are like oh you got a lot of mail here come home here <laughs> like i used to come home to stats and stats and, and you don't answer in time they purge the roles So, and what we saw in Georgia was that they were being very specific about the areas of the state that they were purging purging the roles. And also, if they thought that someone had the same name of someone else, like there's a guy named Jerome, say Jerome Higgins, and there's two Jerome Higgins in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, this is the same person registered twice. So we're going to eliminate one of them. It is completely legal. It's unethical, but it is legal. Wow. But we'll hit you with one last stupid question, which is what is a poll tax? Okay. Poll tax is a fee to, to vote, right? So back in the 60s and during the Jim Crow era, they would suppress the vote in certain southern states by requiring a someone to pay a ridiculous fee in order to vote. Now, what they found was, say, in today's money, they were charging people $500 to be able to go in and cast their ballot. Well, when folks who look like me, you know, black, brown, showed up, it would be like, well, you got to pay $500 or you're not going to vote. But if someone who didn't look like me showed up, like, oh, I got you, buddy. Like, go ahead. You can pay next time. (laughs) Right? So that fee is a poll tax, but poll taxes don't look like that every time. It's not always blatant. It can be in requiring someone 
to access a, a voter ID that they have to pay for in order to be eligible to vote in their state. Wow. We're going to talk about voter disenfranchisement again and sort of the racial discrimination and background there. So in terms of the South as a whole, you know, we have seen a horrible record in terms of voter disenfranchisement. I mean, touched on that already with Georgia and Tennessee. And I mean, we could just name pretty much like every state below the Mason-Dixon, let's be real. But it's especially the case when it comes to Black men and trying to disenfranchise men of color, Black men particularly. So great example that we came across was actually one in North Carolina, a law that was passed originally in 2013, which is HB 589. But this law required citizens to present a specific form of ID, such as a passport or a driver's license in order to cast a ballot. So early voting was also reduced from 17 to 10 days. So huge amount there, especially if you're trying to plan your life, not great. Or you, I don't know, work and can't take days off. Lots of considerations there. So the bill also changed other methods of assessing the ballot, including entirely eliminating same day registration, ick. And then in 2017, this measure was overturned, but it really hasn't been entirely dismantled or eliminating because the voter ID requirement has continued to live on. So we're still seeing that part like rear its ugly head, which again, but there's obviously backstory here. So can you sort of just explain the backstory and the motivation behind some of these voter disenfranchisement laws and why we sort of continue to still see them even in literally 2021? Yeah, and a, a couple of things here. So we've seen this over and over in the South where people are willing to try to change the rules that govern our democracy. Like, if, it, if it's not working for them, they just want to go ahead and ball it up, burn it up, trash it, and create their own rules of the game, right? And we've seen it over and over and over again. Like, when you mentioned HB 589, it also ended pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds. You know, when you go to the DMV, if you're going to be 18 by the next election, they would automatically uh, register you uh, so that you can vote once you're 18 which impacted you know that age group there are studies that you can find on the impact that it's had on 16 and 17 year olds since that bill was uh, introduced in 2013. it also ended straight party voting in the state of georgia not, not georgia but north carolina meaning you could before this you could have went in and said i want to vote for every republican or every democrat or every independent and it would have just done it automatically for you so eliminating that they found that people on the lower part of the ballot were not getting as many votes as people at the top of the ticket because if i'm just there to vote for president i'm going to vote for president and call it a day well before i would have hit straight party and it would have done it all for me so they found that those were ways that they were picking up local and smaller races but the history of this it, it literally goes that the largest thing I, I could think of was 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they had the Wilmington riots. Now, what this was, was in 1898, this guy by the name of Charles, I think it's last name is Anak, he later became governor of North Carolina, but he gathered a clan of men and I'm referring to them as a clan because they were called red coats, but they predated um, the, the Ku Klux Klan in the state. 
And they went to Wilmington, which at the time was the largest city in North Carolina, and they killed and murdered. Some say 3%, others say 5% of the town's total population. And afterwards, he said, this is how we're going to get our country back. It sounds familiar, right? I was about to say, I think I've heard that before. So after that, that was 1898. So a few years later in 1902, the very last Black congressman, his name was George White, he was run out of Congress. And he was from the state of North Carolina. So North Carolina also had the last Black congressman. So they had this riot and people know about Red Summer. There were examples of this all over the South where literally murder was the tool to stop people from voting. And after that, like Black voter participation went down to nearly zero in the South. And it wasn't for another 100 years. 92 years to be exact. So from 1898 to 1990 was the first time that North Carolina sent another Black congressperson to Congress. And that was with Miss Eva Clay. So, you know, this discrimination has a long history in North Carolina, and it continues. Like, there's a direct link from... 1898 to 2013 and the and the source of those motivations and those actions right when we think about what happened with president obama in 2008 when he uh, won the state of north carolina he didn't win the state of north carolina because everyone showed up on election day and voted for him he actually lost the the election day vote by nearly double digits But how he won was the early vote and same-day voter registration, which is why HB 589, yeah, HB 589 came into existence because they wanted to stop the people, the Obama coalition, these folks who normally did not vote in elections. They wanted to figure out how to stop them from being able to do it again. (laughs) So they targeted every group, the young, the college, the older people, the black people, the poor people, the brown people, the young women, white women who are like, Barack Obama is awesome and we need a change. <laughs> and it's time for something different, right? They wanted to stop them uh, from doing it again because you saw right after that, Georgia flipped their governor. They got a, a female governor who was a Democrat. She did amazing things. And then a guy came behind her and decided that, you know, he wanted to do this bathroom bill thing. That was crazy, but that's like besides the point. But but literally the motivation was racial tension and this group of people feeling like they were losing grasp of not just, you know, their town or this election, but their country. And I, I was saying when you know, he that shall not be named was occupying the White House. And that's when you see insurrectionist activity and people working outside of their own common sense and normal behavior. That's when you see families starting to split because one believes this one and Owen believes that one. And it's very dangerous, not just to our democracy and our country, but it's dangerous for the 
future children that are going to have to inherit this. And they're going to say, what the hell do you want me to do with it? Because you just jacked it up, mom and dad. <laughs> like, we have to figure this thing out. And, you know, that's one of the motivations uh, that I have with Amplified Action. Because think about that. You're living in a, in a town that from 1898 to 100 years later, that's four, what, four generations have gone through that massive levels of suppression and tyranny and discrimination and fear. And now when they finally have the opportunity to vote that was supposed to be given to them in the 15th Amendment, now the 1965 Voters' Right Act comes and only 40 of North Carolina's 60 counties actually participate and you know, see that as a law of the land, right? Now you expect these folks to get out and vote in large numbers and say, well, this is your civic duty. Well, last time I heard about my me practicing my civic duty, I was being threatened. Yeah, I kind of have a question about that, too, because, I mean, you guys at Amplify Action are working, obviously, heavily on registering voters. But once they're registered and it's time to vote, is there anything you guys are doing to like help those people get to the polls and change the fear around doing that which is crazy that there is fear but absolutely and again we're a nonpartisan organization so you know although we're focusing on black men we believe that the more people that you get out and vote the better our democracy is period because that's what democracy is supposed to look like right it's pretty simple <laughs> and, and majority rules right so Yes, we, we register them and then we help them get to the polls. We don't tell folks who to vote for. We just want to make sure you vote. And like my crazy idea, my crazy vision is that this guy who said my vote don't count, like many of my uncles said, actually registers and then votes. And then they join the Amplify Action Academy and they learn how to get other people to do it too. And then they become an activist and an act, uh, uh, advocate for the issues of the community. And one day they wake up and say, shoot, I can run for office. That is the vision that we are creating uh, a new generation that will soon become the leaders of our communities. I couldn't think of a better place to wrap it, but there's still so much work to be done. Again, people like you guys are doing it and doing the work and I think it's incredible. And you know, to wrap it on that note, we definitely want to make sure everybody knows where to find y'all and to go on websites, social media, volunteer, everything. Yes, so to go to the Amplify Action side of things, go to ampourvote.com. Ampourvote.com. If you wanna, you can volunteer, everything's there. Our social media is all at ampourvote. So that's Facebook, Snapchat, if anybody still uses that, Uh, TikTok, (laughs) <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, we're everywhere under that. And then, you know, our, our advocacy on Amplify Action Fund is under just that everywhere. Amplify Action Fund and it's AmplifyActionFund.com. And we will be happy to have you join our team. As ad, uh, uh, what do they call themselves? I have a group that's calling themselves like Amplifiers. So you can join. You can join our amplifiers team and mobilize anywhere in your community. And you can even give a donation. That really helps. 
So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Seriously, this has been amazing. All righty. Well, first top story of the week. This I feel like we sound like a broken record because we're talking about impeachment again. This is definitely a reoccurring story that we wanted to keep you guys updated on. So Trump's second impeachment trial in the Senate has kicked off. So, you know, former President Donald Trump, as we know, his second impeachment trial began Tuesday. A solemn proceeding that will, you know, force lawmakers to relive the very violent events from January 6th, which we will never forget. (laughs) So basically, House Democrats prosecute their case for incitement of insurrection on the Capitol. And so the nine Democratic impeachment managers for the House, which impeached Trump last month, argue that he alone was responsible for inciting the mob of supporters who broke into the U.S. Capitol and interrupted the presidential electoral count. So lawyers for Trump have argued on the other side that, you know, this trial is unconstitutional. They say that the former president was exercising his freedom of speech when he told supporters to, quote unquote, fight like hell (laughs) to overturn his defeat. So arguments against conviction are expected to be pretty persuasive with Senate Republicans, most of whom have signaled that they will vote to acquit President Trump. So the trial is expected to last into the weekend and possibly even longer, but it began like kind of midday Tuesday, and it could go on late into some evenings for the Senate. So what to watch for as this trial kicks off was Tuesday, proceedings began with a debate about the constitutionality of the trial. And so ultimately, the Senate voted 56 to 44. So six Republicans joined 50 Democrats to basically say, no, this impeachment is constitutional. We need to hold this trial and we still need to hold presidents accountable, even if they do something in their last weeks um, or days of their presidency. So, you know, that that moved forward. So Wednesday, arguments will begin. The House managers will present their arguments first. And beginning on Wednesday, and each side will have up to 16 hours, running no more than eight hours per day to give their arguments back and forth on whether to impeach this president. But for things that are on different avenues, COVID-19 relief... Again, like, you know, there's some of these things where it's like the classic beating the dead horse, but there just are updates on these topics. And it just seems like we got we got to tell you the the four on one. So good old Chuck Schumer was joined by 10 committee chairs and declared that the Senate will be able to tackle the impeachment trial while simultaneously moving forward on a quote unquote bold plan to get this country out of the crisis, including prioritizing vaccine distribution, assisting small businesses, tending to the economy, reopening schools safely. President Biden has proposed a $1.9 trillion relief package in case you didn't hear at this point in your life and live under a rock. But that is the basis for Democrats' efforts. On Friday, TBT to last week, which feels like a century ago, the Senate and the House both narrowly approved a budget resolution that could allow Democrats to approve relief legislation on a party line vote. So basically, they're juggling and they have like a lot of things going on, which just like should be a part of their job anyways. But I'm really imagining like, visually like having like a lot of balls up in the air and then they like one moment they're juggling they like throw like COVID up here and then all of a sudden they go impeachment and then before this one falls then they have to grab this one maybe it's just a circus but in this circus a letter to house democrats on tuesday speaker nancy pelosi said house committees are writing the american rescue plan into legislation the goal of the measure being signed by biden before unemployment benefits expire in march 
So, TikTok, let's see what happens. TikTok on the clock. Well, also speaking of this, you know, COVID-19 aid, Democrats in the U.S. Senate continue to try and find a way to include a minimum wage increase in a comprehensive COVID-19 relief bill. And so Democrats have been pushing for more than doubling the minimum wage over five years to $15 per hour. So the current federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour when it was last raised back in 2009. So the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said on Monday that doing so would put $509 billion more in pay in the pockets of people affected by the race. But it also noted that 1.4 million jobs could be lost by 2025 when the measure would be in full force. So there's a lot of pros and cons to this. I mean, this minimum wage conversation is a big one that I feel like we should definitely spend more time on in another episode. We'll see if it passes via the COVID-19 bill, but this is a priority for President Biden. And, you know, he plans to make it happen. It's just a matter of when and whether I guess it'll work to insert it into the COVID-19 relief bill if that's how they're going to make it happen. But we will see and we'll keep you guys posted. I think we'll also work on getting someone on to like tell us all about increasing the minimum wage and what that means and all the pros and cons to it because I think that's a really important conversation. Agreed. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, call her Marge. So we told you guys about Marjorie Taylor Greene last week and there is more to the story that has it has progressed. So good old Marge Greene has actually been expelled from two committees over basically all of her kind of crazy, problematic, racist, conspiracy theorist statements, views, all these things that are just super problematic for an elected official to be believing and even spewing publicly. So the U.S. House of Representatives voted to expel her from those two committees over all the remarks that she has made since being elected in November. And so, again, she's just promoted baseless QAnon conspiracy theorists, endorsed violence against Democrats. And so 11 Republicans joined with the Democrats to pass the motion 230 to 199 in the House. And so it means that Marge, who was elected in November, representing the state of Georgia, cannot take up her place on the education and budget committees. Thank God. And so this would limit her ability to shape policy as most legislation goes through a committee before reaching the House floor. So committee positions can determine the influence of of individual lawmakers in their party. And so it's actually highly unusual for one party to intervene in another party's House committee assignments, but she got zooted. Thank God. Before we go, we do want to just pop in with a little reminder for a little civic engagement. Of course, our friends over at Rhino Rally, the Progressive Protest Postcard Club, have their postcard campaign of the month up and ready. And this month, naturally and appropriately so, is focused on working to dismantle you guessed it, white supremacy. So super exciting, super cool stuff there. We'll have all the links in the bio for how to get involved and to join their monthly club. And of course, you know, push that civic engagement forward. It's a fun way to stay engaged and active. So as always, subscribe, rate, review, download. It helps our numbers. (laughs) But that is it for this week. And as always, we'll be talking to you guys next Wednesday.
Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.